0: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yesterday was Veterans Day, a day where we celebrate the men and women who were part of a military branch and served our country. It's different from Memorial Day, where we remember those in the military who died in their service. Veterans Day is all about the living, and for those who served in any branch, whether in time of war or time of peace. It has its beginnings in the end of World War I. At 11 a.m. on November 11th, 1918, uh, there was an armistice sign that effectively brought an end to World War I. Now, that made it the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. And the following year, on the first anniversary of Armistice Day, people were very excited to celebrate and honor the veterans of World War I because they knew that that was the war to end all wars. Of course, unfortunately, that wasn't the case And we were still referring to the holiday as Armistice Day after World War II. And so in 1954, President Dwight Eisenhower signed a bill changing the name to Veterans Day and sharing that we would honor all veterans on that day. In 1968, the government decided to take four government holidays, national holidays, and Veterans Day was one of them, move them to Monday's, irrespective of what date that fell on, so that government employees could have three-day weekends. They thought that would increase travel and spending and people would enjoy the holiday. But there was a lot of backlash, especially over moving Veterans Day. And so in 1975, President Gerald Ford signed a bill changing it back to November 11th because of the historical significance Of that day. I remember being in junior and senior high band and playing for Veterans Day events. We were taught the importance of giving thanks to veterans for their service, for all that they had done for all of us in serving this country. And so today, for all of you who served in any branch of the military, For all of you who are veterans or have a veteran in your family, we just want you to know how appreciative and grateful we are for your service. Whether you served in a time of peace, a time of war, at home or abroad, you have made a difference in our lives, and we won't take it for granted. I think it's important that we remember the actual purpose of Veterans Day, and it's stated to celebrate and honor all veterans for their love of country, their patriotism, and for their willingness to serve and sacrifice for the common good. The best way that we can thank veterans is by the way we live, by the way we appreciate the freedoms and liberties that we have been given through their hard work. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about the Protestant Reformation, And all along that time in history, there were people who risked their lives for the greater good. Men and women who did so much to draw us closer to God, and some of them were martyred for their faith. We talked about people like John Wycliffe, who in the 1300s started writing about the abuses of the church and he was convinced that god wanted all people to have access to the bible and so he began a translation of the bible into english his work made it to the hands of john jan huss in germany and huss was someone who had entered into the priesthood to escape poverty his family was so poor that he thought the priesthood would be better than the way he lived He was in abject poverty, and he thought to himself, well, that's a job. And so without ever having read a word of the Bible, he entered into seminary. Now, he was someone who didn't have a great love for priests. He referred to the priesthood as the foolish sect. And so he wasn't in it for anything other than the job and a little bit of uh, respect that he was given because of his position. But in seminary, he started to read the Bible for the very first time, and his life was transformed. It changed him because he could read for himself about the love of God. Now, if he had just remained in that moment, it would have been so much easier for him. It brought him great joy to research and study God's word. And if he had stayed there, he could have studied as a priest and preached about the Bible to his congregation. But the more he studied the Bible, the more he was convinced that God wanted all people to have access to Scripture. In the end, he was executed because of his beliefs and burned at the stake. His writings would be... Instrumental in the beliefs of Martin Luther more than a hundred years later, Luther had many similarities to huss he didn 't enter the priesthood because of poverty but because he was afraid of lightning. You may remember that a few weeks ago, Dr. Long was telling us the story that Martin Luther started off to study law One evening, he was walking home on a road, and a storm developed. And right in front of him, this large bolt of lightning struck the ground. And he was so terrified, he saw that as a sign from God to go into the ministry. Now, he wasn't a very good priest. He had never read the Bible. He was just so afraid and worried that he was never going to be good enough. And he was a miserable priest. They sent him off to kind of find himself and not worry so much probably around them. And he began to study the Bible. And just like Hus, his life was transformed. He encountered God's love for him, and it changed his life. Now, he could have stayed in that moment. He could have researched the Word of God for the rest of his life. He could have been kind of holed up in a university or the monastery, and he could have enjoyed the moment of learning more about God the rest of his life. But he understood the more he studied that God wanted the Bible for all people, not just the clergy, not just the elite. God wanted all people to have access to Scripture. And so he spent the rest of his life serving that cause. Now, I think veterans and the Reformation leaders have one important attribute in common, and that is they understand that life isn't just about them, and they are committed to the greater good. We can have a life full of joy and without regret if we will follow their example. And remember that life isn't just about us. We can commit our life to the greater good. This morning, I'm concluding our sermon series, Things You Won't Regret. We've been talking during this series about how to live life to the fullest. It's based on the writings of a hospice care nurse, and she saw several similarities with some of her patients. When some of her patients reached the end of their lives and were facing death, Many of them had deep regrets, things they wished they had done, things they wished they had not done. And it filled them with this sense of a yearning to do everything over. Well, we have been given an incredible gift. We have the rest of our lives to choose how we want to live. We get to make a decision how we want to face the end of our life. If we want to face it as someone who's lived for ourself and pursued our own desires, or someone who made a difference, someone who practiced kindness, we can face the end without regret. This morning's scripture passage comes from the Gospel of John, and it's part of the story of the Last Supper. Now, the Last Supper is told in all four Gospels, but they tell it in different ways, the, the story of the Last Supper, it starts with the preparation of the meal and the eating of the meal, the institution of the bread and the wine for Holy Communion, and then the words of Jesus to his disciples. In the Gospel of Matthew, he uses 14 verses to tell that entire story. The Gospel of Mark is very similar. He uses 15 verses. Now, the Gospel of Luke is the longest gospel that we have, and so it's not surprising that he takes 38 verses to tell the story of the Last Supper, but the Gospel of John takes 155 verses to tell the story of the Last Supper. It takes up five chapters, and it's almost one-fifth of the book of John. You can tell that because he's dedicated so much space to this one evening in the life of Christ, this is important. And what it is, it's the teachings that Jesus has for his disciples. He's teaching them, this is how to live life. And he tells them the reason he's giving them this uh, teaching and instruction is so that they might have joy we can decide how we want to live life. Now, Jesus tells us this famous passage, greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his friends. Now, when we hear those words, lay down his life, and because we know that Jesus is saying them on the night of the Last Supper, and that soon after he would be betrayed and condemned and crucified, We tend to think of that verse, lay down your life, as dying. That Jesus is saying that there's nothing better than dying for your friends. And what he's saying here is not that we are called to give up our lives, but we are called to live our lives for others. For veterans, when they first enlisted in the military, they weren't thinking that the best thing they could do for our country is to die for it. They wanted to serve. They wanted to make a difference. For the Reformation leaders, none of them wanted to die. They wanted to continue living and serving as long as possible. These words of Christ are not about death, but life. This is a way that we are called to live each and every moment. I think there are three things that can help us to live a life without regret, And full of joy by how we care for one another. The first is to seek out the joy of Christ. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples that the reason I'm telling you these things, the reason I say these things, is that my joy might be in you and your joy will be full. Jesus wants us to have joy in life. He wants us to be full of joy. Now, if we will seek out the joy of Christ, we will find opportunities to make a difference. I think sometimes, though, we make it far too complicated. We think that we need to wait for that big mission to make a profound difference in the world. And those are great. But if we only wait for those big missions, we might miss out on all the missional moments that come our way. Christ wants us to find joy every moment. What brings Christ joy? It's when we make life a little better for someone else. It's as simple as that. A great example is found in Plymouth, Minnesota. It's the home of Harvey Jerf. He's a 95-year-old veteran of World War II. He served as part of an anti-aircraft battalion in France and England, Belgium and Germany. When he came home from the war, he studied to become a biologist. And he went on to teach high school science in his community. He's loved by everyone. He's a fixture there. He married his wife after the war, and they've been married over 69 years. They have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Now, one of his loves is the outdoors. And he loves to walk outside. And so every day, for as long as anyone can remember, Harvey has walked a mile twice that day, in the morning, in the evening. And so everyone in the neighborhood is used to see Harvey walking around, around their houses, down the road. Now, over the years, as he's gotten older, he's never stopped. Although he has taken up a couple walking sticks to give him a little bit better support. But in recent years, some of his neighbors have noticed that along his walk, they would see him stop and kind of catch his breath before continuing on. And so one neighbor thought they put out a lawn chair out near the road so he could have a rest stop along the way. Well, the other neighbors caught on and they wanted to have a chair for Harvey in their yard. And so up and down Harvey's path are all these chairs in the neighborhood, and they refer to them as Harvey's chairs. And so he sits in them as he goes along to catch his breath, and he continues along on his walk. Now, of course, I love that story. It has all the elements of a great story. You have a World War II veteran who faithfully served his country. He comes home and serves his community as a teacher He's loved by his family and his neighbors. I love that the neighbors did something kind for him. But what I love most in this story is their reaction. You see, they didn't put out lawn chairs because they felt obligated to do that. They found joy in doing something nice for Harvey. And they talk about, they'll look out the curtains and sometimes they'll peek out and catch Harvey sitting in their chair. And it's almost like a badge of honor Harvey's in our chair. And it makes their whole day. Can't you imagine when they drive home from work seeing all the different chairs for Harvey? It has to transform them. Don't make it too complicated. Christ wants us to be full of joy and finding that in every moment by how we treat one another. Don't wait for those big opportunities. Those are great, but don't miss out on all the moments to put a smile on someone's face, including your own. Second, remember those who are forgotten. Sometimes in life, if we're going to live a life where we lay down our life for the sake of others— We have to be intentional every moment to look for ways that we can be kind to the people around us. But it's important that we remember those who are forgotten, the ones who are neglected by society. Jesus told his disciples on the night of the Last Supper, this commandment I give to you, to love one another as I have loved you. In other words, we are called to love as Jesus loved. Think of his entire ministry. It wasn't just for the disciples. All throughout his ministry, he would care for people that were often forgotten by society, those who were sick, poor, of a different race or background. In that day and time, women and children were often neglected and overlooked, and Jesus spent special time reaching out to them, and teaching his disciples to do the same. If we are to follow in the footsteps of Christ and and welcome his joy in our life, we need to remember those who are often forgotten. There is an all-boys Jesuit high school in Detroit, Michigan. And several years ago, they were looking for a new service project. They visited a high school in Cleveland, Ohio, and learned about their pallbearer program. It was a program to care for those in that community who had no one to be with these people at the time of death. And so in Detroit, this high school, they started their own pallbearer program. They named it the Arimathean Pallbearer Program, named after Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea was the wealthy man who provided the tomb for the body of Christ after the crucifixion. And he is often regarded as the first pallbearer in history. And he's the patron saint of not only pallbearers, but funeral home directors by how he cared for the body of Christ after his death. Well, this high school in Detroit started this new pallbearer program. And they provide funeral services Uh, after this training. Senior high boys can volunteer to be the pallbearers for people who are homeless and die without any family or friends. Their biggest population of homeless in Detroit are homeless veterans. And so they're there, they go through training, especially with the different branches of the military to respect the different customs and rituals in the funeral service. They're taught to carry the casket to the grave site, and it has transformed the lives of these young men. They said that it gives them great honor to care for the military personnel who served the country. And one of the young men said... It's important because everybody should have the dignity of having people to mourn them when they die. If we're going to follow in the footsteps of Christ, we need to love those whom Jesus loved. Remember the forgotten. And third, we need to love people to the end. In the very beginning of the story of the Last Supper, John starts it off in chapter 13, and he says that Jesus knew that the time of his departure had come and that he would be returning to his father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is a way that we are called to live. It's not something that we take a break from or a vacation or we retire from. It's the way we live to our very end of our life. And Jesus will be there with us. It's the way that we spend every moment. Some of you may be familiar with the names Bill and Grace Wildy. They were longtime members of St. Luke's, and both of them passed away a few years ago. They married later in life. They had no children. And so they decided they would leave their estate to the church family that they loved so much and I have to tell you that it brought them great joy when they thought of the difference their gift would make in the generations of people here at St. Luke's. And it's already starting to do that. We've seen things happen here downtown and at Edmond. We've seen a brand new playground for the children. Their gift has made an incredible difference. Now, they loved travel. Early in the marriage, they loved going to different places. They loved going to parties and hosting parties at their home. But even when they were planning fun things to do, they were also planning their legacy. It's the way they lived their life. You can look at different moments in Bill's life and see how they were always thinking of others. They were both very close to their mother's. When their mothers passed away, they wanted to honor them in some way, and so they asked if they could place a garden bench in our garden. And so if you go out into the garden area beside our Christian Life Center, you will see a bench that's etched with the names of Nora uh, Wildy and Gertrude O'Brien. These are their mother's names. Now, we put a, another bench on the other side facing the mom's bench, it is a bench that has Bill and Grace Wildy etched on the front, so they are facing their mothers. When they died, they left behind a stack of church bulletins from years ago when they first started coming to St. Luke's. And when we looked inside the bulletins, what we found is that apparently Bill would come in, and he would sit down in the sanctuary, and he would write his wife, Grace, her name, as well as both of his mother and mother-in-law at every opportunity for prayer. He was intentional that he wouldn't miss an opportunity to pray for these women that he loved. Even when it came to going to church, Bill didn't want it to just be about him. He wanted to be thinking of others. But I think the greatest example of how he lived comes from his time in the service He was a World War II veteran. He had signed up as part of the Army Air Corps, and he was part of the 394th Battalion in the 5th Bomb Group, and he was a first lieutenant and a pilot of a B-24 bomber. And as part of the 13th Air Force, he flew in 36 missions. At at 21 years of age, he was the oldest member of his flight crew. And so the other young men looked at him as the father figure at 21. And he kind of embraced that role. He took care of the men on the flight and off. And at the end of the war, every member of his crew had survived. Well, they kept in contact after the war. You can imagine that going through those kind of life or death missions... It brings you together. You've experienced someone, something that no one else has experienced. And so after the war, they kept in contact by writing each other and phone calls later on through email. They would gather at reunion events just so that they could see one another and keep tabs on each other's lives. But as the years went by, some of their health started to decline, and eventually the day came when the very first member of his flight crew passed away. When that day happened, he sat down and he wrote a letter to that man's family. And he talked about what an incredible man he was, how he had faithfully served his country, how courageous he was, and the difference he had made in the world because of his service. Well, when each member of his crew died over the years, Bill did the same over and over, writing a letter to each and every member of his crew's family, telling them what kind of man he was, how grateful he was for them, and how courageous and sacrificial their love was for their country. Over and over, he wrote these letters until the last member of his crew had died, and he was the only one left alive. It was almost as if he had seen them through the end of the war, and now he saw them and cared for them to the end. Well, Bill, the love of his life was his wife, Grace, and he doted on her throughout their marriage. But a few years ago, she suffered a major stroke, and Bill sat by her hospital bedside, and he kept watch faithfully over her day and night, until a few days later that she passed away. Bill loved her to the end. And a few months later, he passed away. And I remember thinking, here was someone who lived out his calling to lay down his life for others. He loved them to the end, but he wasn't alone. Every moment of his life, Christ was with him, giving him the love and the strength he needed to in turn care for others. When we read about this passage of Jesus loving them to the end, of course it really wasn't the end. After the resurrection, Jesus loved the disciples and loved them to the end of their earthly ministry. He was with them every moment, giving them the love and strength they needed to lay down their lives for others. Christ loves us to the end giving us the love and strength we need to care for one another. But we have a choice to make. How will we face the end of our lives? Who do we want to be? Do we want to seek out the joy of Christ and lay down our lives for others? It's a better life that way, but we need to choose today, this moment, here and now, to fill ourselves with the joy of Christ and look for the opportunities to care for one another. And it's a life we'll never regret. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. Amen.